Good evening. We welcome you to our Wednesday evening Bible study. Have your Bible ready in Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Ecclesiastes chapter 3. In this Old Testament book, there is this strong message so needed today that life here on earth without God is really just vanity. Solomon says, a chasing after wind. Solomon will later say, over at the very end of the book, what turns that all around is, while you're here under the sun, fear God and keep His commandments. Taking that into the New Testament, we know that Jesus offers forgiveness, and He enables us to have a great life while we are here of obedience to God, whereby we can cope with bad things that happen under the sun and then go to heaven and be with Him. So we're going to study tonight chapter 3, verses 16 through 22 in Ecclesiastes, and that study will begin with the reading of that text after prayer. Heavenly Father, we offer to Thee our honor, our allegiance, and our thanksgiving for Thy word to supply the wisdom that we need to apply to our lives while we are here on earth under the sun. And we pray that such studies as this will take us closer to Thee and will impart hope as we in Christ face death. In His name we pray. Amen. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, I'm going to read verses 16 through 22 this evening. Ecclesiastes 3, 16 through 22. Moreover, I saw under the sun that in the place of justice, even there was wickedness, and in the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness. I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked, for there is a time for every matter and for every work. I said in my heart with regard to the children of man that God is testing them that they may see that they themselves are but beasts. For what happens to the children of man and what happens to the beast is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. They all have the same breath and man has no advantage over the beast, for all is vanity. All go to one place. All are from the dust, and to dust all return. Who knows whether the spirit of man goes upward, and the spirit of the beast goes down into the earth. So I saw that there is nothing better than that a man should rejoice in his work, for this is his lot. Who can bring him to see what will be after him? This section begins with something that we all know and we all see, perhaps every day, and we all, therefore, have to admit that here on earth there is not perfect justice. Here on earth there is not perfect justice. Here on earth, in this nation, we have what we call the justice system. But we all understand 
it doesn't work perfectly. There are good dedicated people in the criminal justice system, good and responsible people in law enforcement, yet there is sometimes human error or there is overload and sometimes there's even corruption. What we call the American justice system sometimes does not come out to justice. It is not perfect, and we all know that. We admit that. In teaching Ecclesiastes, years ago, I used to stop here and give examples of how the justice system is not perfect. And I think we're at a time now when that probably is not necessary. In the news, and perhaps in your experience, or in my experience, there are illustrations of how the justice system just doesn't always work as we expect it to work. Human systems of justice do not always work perfectly because they are occupied by humans. It is a human justice system. It's not perfect. Now, this is not new. It's not peculiar to our time. The prophets of the Old Testament often spoke of how the Jewish system didn't work as God wanted it to work, as God intended, because of the people who occupied that system. The prophets would very often rebuke the priests and the leaders who were a part of that system for their selfishness and their corruption. In Old Testament times, we know there was oppression, there was terrorism and slavery and children without parents and widows neglected, and the prophets spoke against all of that very clearly and firmly. So we see injustice and oppression today, and it's been around since Genesis chapter 3. It's been around as long as sin has been around. We observe injustice and oppression today, and Solomon, in his contemplation and journey through life, and as he looked at what the earth had to offer, he saw this plainly. The question that bothered him and that bothers people today is, when will there be perfect justice? When will everything that is wrong be made right? And the Bible says there's hope. The Bible says that someday God will activate perfect justice and everything will be made right. Every sin left unrepented of, God will address. And God will handle that perfectly. Every sin that's unforgiven, every evil thought that hasn't been rejected, every crime undetected by men, every element of hypocrisy and oppression and injustice, it'll all come to an end perfectly when God deals with it finally. God knows all of that. He knows what's happening now that we might not be able to observe. And he will deal with it once and for all, and it will be right. It will be perfect. I want to be on his side when that day comes. 
And all we're talking about here is one reason why we need Jesus Christ to forgive us of our sin and to lead us in the way that is right. One day, we do not know when, God will administer perfect justice. And therefore, the only way to be ready to stand before God is to stand with Christ today in trust that is obedient. Now, Solomon doesn't take us all the way there. Solomon doesn't take us directly to the gospel from Ecclesiastes 3, but we have the New Testament, and we know where the Old Testament is headed. And so we bring that up as we go along in Solomon's journey, and he will take us to the conclusion that the best way to live under the sun is to live in good relationship with the maker of the sun. At the end of the book, he says, fear God and keep his commandments. But at this point, Solomon is contemplating what the earth has to offer. What is there that's under the sun? And he observes there is injustice. And it occurs to Christians all the time, and it disturbs us that everything seems to be all turned around in the world that we occupy. That in the place of justice, even there is wickedness, and in the place of righteousness, even there is wickedness. That means in places where you expect there to be justice, and in places where you anticipate there will be righteousness, sometimes you're disappointed. You're disappointed. Solomon saw that. In places where we expect to find what is right and just and morally good, we often find the opposite. It sounds to us like at this point in Solomon's process of thought about life, he wanted God to fix everything. Punish the evil and reward the righteous immediately and make him happy. Solomon at places in Ecclesiastes sounds very much like some of the Psalms where David is wanting God to handle things immediately. And he calls for justice right then and there. Or Habakkuk who said, how long, how long? Or Jeremiah, the weeping prophet who was so disturbed about unrighteousness and injustice. Solomon found that here on earth, not everything is what it ought to be and what people expect it to be. So if you try to find ultimate fulfillment here under the sun, you're going to run into this brick wall of disappointment at almost every corner. Under the sun, there is not perfect reckoning. There is no final justice here. And that becomes another reason why we cannot find permanent happiness here. We occupy fallen ground. We live in a place where sin and sinners do their work before the final judgment. Not all criminals get caught. There are utterly insincere, selfish people who operate in places of powerful influence. There are many people doing really bad things to other people, but nobody can seem to catch them or punish them. It isn't always possible to protect the innocent and, protect, uh, and, and punish all the guilty because of the human element in the system. 
because of the human element that at its best is imperfect. At worst, it is selfish and corrupt. A big part of Solomon's purpose in the book of Ecclesiastes is to help us face the reality of earthly existence. And the hope is that facing earthly realities will help us focus on God and heaven and something that we can hope for when we leave this existence under the sun. I'm going to pause there for questions or comments. Chapter 3, 16 and 17, listen to it. Moreover, I saw under the sun that in the place of justice, even there was wickedness, and in the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness. I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked, for there is a time for every matter and for every work. Solomon was frustrated, but he knew, and he said here, God will take care of this in his time, which is the theme that was introduced earlier in chapter 3. In verse 16, Solomon states the problem. Verse 17 states the ultimate solution. And that ultimate solution we're going to have to wait for. It will not occur until God wants there to be final judgment. Do you see the problem or reality of life on earth is injustice and wickedness where justice and righteousness ought to be. That problem will eventually be solved, but only in God's time. And that is stated here in this context as an absolute fact. God will judge the righteous and the wicked. We know from other passages God will judge the righteous with favor, favor that we are able to receive by the activity of faith in Christ. God will judge the wicked with disfavor, with condemnation. But the primary idea here is, this is how it is under the sun. And perfect justice is not going to come until God decides it will come later. For there is a time for every matter, for every work. So, we have to face the reality that we occupy fallen ground. There is no heaven on earth, in spite of what some TV evangelists will try to say. And there is no immediacy in perfect judgment now. But someday, God will deal with everything. The writer of Ecclesiastes had a good answer to the problem of injustice. Though he was bothered by it, he said, God will judge. Next, Solomon takes us back to another reality of life under the sun. One that he has mentioned before, but now he mentions it in a different sort of way. And it is putting us in touch with stark reality. Death is coming to all. And physical death is something that occurs for both man and beast. Now, there is an essential difference between man and beast. But in regard to birth and breath and death, we are the same. And Solomon puts it that way in verses 18 through 20. 
I said in my heart with regard to the children of man that God is testing them that they may see that they themselves are but beasts. In what way, Solomon? For what happens to the children of man and what happens to the beast is the same. What do you mean, Solomon? As one dies, so dies the other. They all have the same breath, and man has no advantage over the beast, for all is vanity. What are you talking about, Solomon? All go to one place. What do you mean? All are from the dust, and to dust they return. For man and beast, there is something in common. Birth, breath, and death. Now, Solomon puts this crudely, it sounds to us. But he's trying to make an impression that this is the way it is here under the sun. And if you try to find your purpose just under the sun without God, these are the realities you need to face. If you have a dog, it was born and there was breath and it will die. If you have a spouse, that person was born, and there was breath, and then death will come, if it hasn't already. The physical body of your dog will decay to the dust. The physical body of your loved ones will decay to the dust, where you will be someday. Now, Solomon... That's stark, but that's real. That's the way it is under the sun. Like other statements of Hebrew poetry in the Old Testament, uh, this is subject to some misinterpretation, so we need to be careful to clarify. And I've already clarified once, but I'll say again. This passage is not saying that man and beast are alike in every way. We know that man was made in the image of God, Genesis 1.27, and we already know earlier in this chapter from verse 11 that man has eternity built into him by God. But the point here is, in regard to death and dust, both humans and animals come to the same end. The advantage we have over animals is not under consideration yet. Solomon often uses stark, crude statements of reality to shake us and help us understand the limitations of life under the sun. Later, Solomon will affirm in chapter 12 in verse 7 that man's spirit at death falls under the sovereign control of God. He will say that later, but he's in a process of moving us in that direction. And here he wants us to know that the beast, the dog ceases its earthly existence just like the physical body comes to the end of its earthly existence. So resurrection and all that that Christians anticipate is not yet under consideration at this point. Death is our commonality with the animal world. And one way to say that is all go to one place. And that's the way Solomon says it here. So in this paragraph... Two realities are highlighted. One, we live on fallen ground. So there is injustice and oppression. We appreciate people who do work for justice, 
but we acknowledge the system is not perfect. And then the other reality is all go to one place. Psalms 49.12 may be in your reference Bible. Man in his pomp will not remain. He is like the beast that perish. So if you put all your stock in what's under the sun, the physicality and carnality of what's under the sun, it's all going to end. Do you remember the nursery rhyme? Ashes, ashes, we all fall down. One man said about passages like this in Ecclesiastes, we need to know where we're living. Now, later you get to where we can head, where we're headed in Christ. But at this point in Ecclesiastes, the point is we need to know where we're headed. We are located on fallen ground. We are here on earth under the sun. And as the song indicates, we are just passing through. Questions or comments? <clears throat> Go back sometime. And research that nursery rhyme. Pretty interesting. We'll not do it now. Verse 21 raises a question that is not answered. Who knows, who knows whether the spirit of man goes upward or the spirit of the beast goes down into the earth? I'm not inclined to make much of that in terms of in-depth analysis, except to see Solomon telling us he didn't know exactly how this all worked. I cannot take a question that comes up in a text like this and claim that in the question I have found the answer. So I think this is just a question. It's a confession of Solomon's ignorance about what happens here under the sun and how this all works. I do not know exactly how death works, do you? I know you've never experienced it. I know you've never interviewed a dead person. So this is a subject about which there is always going to be an element of mystery, and I think Solomon is just admitting that here. Animals have no way to escape the inevitability of death, and neither do we. Animals don't know how the process works exactly, and neither do we. So if, you're, if your life is lived apart from God, and you're trying to find fulfillment and satisfaction just here under the sun, Solomon says it's pretty bleak. You are born, you breathe, and you die just like your puppy dog. If God is not in your life, then that's it. You are born, you breathe, and you die just like Rover. Turn to Psalm 49. Psalm 49. I want to check and make sure my reference is correct. That's what I have written in my notes. But uh, I want to make sure this is correct. I'm going to read this from the NIV. I think this is the correct reference. It may not read the same in the version you have. This is from the NIV in Psalm 49, 15 through 20. But God will redeem me from the realm of the dead. He will surely take me to himself. 
Do not be overawed when others grow rich, when the splendor of their houses increase, for they will take nothing with them when they die. Their splendor will not descend with them. Though while they live, they count themselves blessed, and people praise you when you prosper, they will join those who have gone before them who will never again see the light of life. People who have wealth but lack understanding are like the beast that perish. What an excellent commentary on what we have studied in Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Back to Ecclesiastes 3, at the end of the chapter, Solomon's conclusions, he says, at this point, So I saw that there is nothing better than that a man should rejoice in his work, for that is his lot, who can bring him to see what will be after him. Now, remember, this is... This is not what you find in the New Testament. We're not there yet. And we're not at the end of Ecclesiastes, where he says, what you do under the sun is fear God and keep his commandments. He's describing what's here under the sun. And it's bleak if, if all you try to get into your life is what's here on the earth. Might as well enjoy what you do here. You can't take a journey into your future and see exactly how everything will turn out. At this point in Solomon's description, Solomon is still leading us to his final conclusion, which will be blessing us with optimism and hope. There is a way to live under the sun, fear God and keep his commandments. But Solomon is not there yet. Here, he's talking about the way it is here under the sun. Questions or comments? Ecclesiastes 3 16 through 22. Let's do it all together in, uh, in this paragraph. See how it all connects. Moreover, I saw under the sun that in the place of justice, even there was wickedness. And in the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness. I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked, for there is a time for every matter and for every work. I said in my heart with regard to the children of man that God is testing them, that they may see that they themselves are but beast. For what happens to the children of man and what happens to the beast is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. They all have the same breath, and man has no advantage over the beast for all is vanity. All go to one place. All are from the dust, and to dust all return. Who knows whether the spirit of man goes upward and the spirit of the beast goes down into the earth. So I saw that there is nothing better than that a man should rejoice in his work, for that is his lot. Who can bring him to see what will be after him? Now, in that last question, the end of that paragraph, we have an answer. Christ, the New Testament. But Solomon is describing life in its bleak reality here under the sun. This is the way it is 
here. And if you just live for here without God, this is what you have to face. You'll be, you be dead like your puppy, and it'll be over. Of course, we know there's something else for those who lived without God. That's New Testament. But Solomon here is describing life under the sun. Before my takeaways, anything? Takeaways. If we are mature and realistic, the limitations of life here on earth we will keep in the front of our minds every day. We've learned recently that work has gain. But the gain from work doesn't answer all of our needs. You remember we talked about that just on Sunday. There is injustice on earth. And you can be a workaholic. And you can earn good money. And you can load your resume. There will still be injustice here in the world. You can become a part of the justice system. And do everything you can to enforce the law and to help those who are innocent. But even when you do all of that, there will be injustice. It will not be perfect justice until God makes that final call. So work and enjoy the good that you're able to get from your work. But that's not the end of life. Part of being an adult and living right is an awareness of the limitations of life here under the sun. It helps us understand answers are not under the sun. Answers are from the maker of the sun. And our response to him is to fear God and keep his commandments. And we are able to do that because of the New Testament message of Jesus Christ and him crucified. But I need to keep before me every day the limitations of life on earth. Number two, the book of Ecclesiastes ought to instill in us long-term recognition that the best way to live here on earth is in close relationship with the one who created the earth and made us in his image. While we come to the end of Ecclesiastes and need to go to the New Testament to find out how we can be right with God through Christ, still, just in Ecclesiastes, we ought to be impressed and it ought to be a long-term impression that's embedded within us that the best way to live here on earth is in relationship with the one who made the earth. Because answers and ultimate fulfillment of life are not to be found. Your purpose is not to be discovered under the sun. Number three, I have been talking about this, but I'll make it even plainer, I hope. The full and best answer to Solomon's enigmas are written in the New Testament. If you just had the book of Ecclesiastes, no Messiah, no Savior, no gospel plan, no apostles telling you how to respond to God, 
If you just had Ecclesiastes, it would be utterly depressing because you would get to the end of the book and you would say, fear God and keep His commandments. How am I going to do that? I've already violated His commandments. How do I fear God? What are the specifics of this? What, what should my response to God be? Surely there's more than just a phrase that says, fear God and keep His commandments. And this is where I always say to people, just keep reading. Just keep reading. From the fuller revelation of the New Testament, we know that at the consummation of history, with the return of Christ, there will be judgment and full restoration of perfect righteousness and justice. I think some of the probing questions and puzzles brought up in the Old Testament have their ultimate answer in the New Testament. I mentioned a few moments ago David's cries for justice in Psalms. And I think I mentioned, or I intended to, I think I did, about Jeremiah and his utter despair and disappointment as he walked down the streets of Jerusalem being the only righteous man who acknowledged God and what Jeremiah saw. And Habakkuk, and how Habakkuk and other prophets cried to God for justice. There is in the Old Testament enigmas and puzzles and questions and you wonder, where is that all headed? Well, I think some of the probing questions and puzzles brought up in the Old Testament have their ultimate answer in the New Testament. And so, regarding the matter of death that Solomon has hammered away at uh, with his animal uh, parallel, in John chapter 5, 28 and 29... Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear His voice. Now, you can read Rover out of this. Because the puppy's not going to hear this. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear His voice and come out, those who have done good to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. So if you have enigmas and puzzles brought up in Ecclesiastes, just keep reading and get over here and see what Christ says about how we can get ready for our exit from this earth. We can have a hope that Rover cannot have. I don't know if people use the name Rover for their dogs anymore. If I just had Ecclesiastes and Habakkuk and, and Job, I might really be confused and depressed, but I've got the whole Word of God. I've got the fullness and perfection of God's revelation. So that what we need to do today is clear, and the hope we have in Christ is far more important to us than speculation about where Rover goes. So, the New Testament completes the story that is started in the Old Testament. Is it true? I, I want you just to think about this. You don't have to uh, 
don't have to get into extended discussion now, but I want you to think, is it true that justice delayed is justice denied? From a divine standpoint, no. Because we have absolute confidence that God's justice finally, though delayed now, will be perfect at the end. So, in terms of human justice systems here under the sun, the statement is made, justice delayed is justice denied, and we understand the context of that. But from the divine standpoint, God is delaying judgment now, but when it comes, it will be absolutely perfect. Everything, remember we've discovered earlier in Ecclesiastes, everything is beautiful in its time. Matthew Henry said, There is another judge that stands before the door. With God, there is a time for the redressing of grievances, though as yet we may see it not. I think he was correct. And then my final quote, Paul Earnhardt. I read a lot, quote a lot, a gospel preacher. The fact that we know so little of God's providential working from our present vantage point should not only keep us humble, but restrain us from hasty explanations of life's heartbreaking tragedies. There are things we must be content not to know or understand. Deuteronomy 29, 29. Comfort and assurance will have to come from simply knowing and trusting God. God. Though Eliphaz's presumption of Job's guilt was wrong, his counsel for life's painful perplexities is right. But as for me, I would seek God, and to God I would commit my cause, who does great and unsearchable things. Marvelous. Job 5 verses 8 and 9. That's our study for tonight. Come back for chapter 4 on the Lord's Day. Thank you.